Well, celebrating the Lord through beef, huh? So uh, hopefully no burnt offerings out there. But, uh, so good to have you here today, and I'm just excited that you're, uh, you're here, uh, especially for the first time. My name's uh, Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you. In fact, do we have any first-timers uh, today? Any, we got some right over here on this, uh, how about in this section right here? Any, any in this section here? How about over here? Any first-timers? Okay, it's great to have you. Welcome. And uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching, and every week we do this, and, and inside your weekend program is a white message note sheet that will help you follow along, so I encourage you to take that out. If you've uh, got a Bible, then go ahead and take that out. If you don't, look on with someone who does as we, uh, we jump in. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at our church. God, we're excited. We're excited about this movement that you've got us going on, uh, this journey with you. Every week is a new a new step every week is a new adventure as we go through your word together. And, and so, Lord, we pray today you'd show up in power. We pray you'd show up through your Holy Spirit to teach us about um, the Holy Spirit, what he does in our lives and the role he plays. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our story starts today in the year uh, 2007, so just last year. And uh, I first met Tim and Joanne uh, about a year ago. Um, they had uh, recently come to Christ. Their life had really been uh, on the rocks, a mess, really, by their own testimony. Um, they, their marriage was in trouble. Uh, uh, Tim was dealing with a major anger issue in his life. His dad had suffered with dementia for a long time, and then it eventually passed away, and that had caused this, this whole fountain of anger to come up inside of him that had been poured out on his family, on his wife and little boy. And, and so their marriage was on the rocks, and about that time, um, a friend of Joanne's who was a Christ follower uh, came into her life, and she encouraged her to really seek God. This was a time she needed to seek God in her life, and encouraged her to start reading the Bible. It's something she'd never really done before. And so she, uh, she said, what do I read? And, and the lady prayed, and she said, you want to start in the book of James. And so she started reading the book of James, and it began to impact her life. And about two weeks into that, she felt God speak to her one night and say, you know, leave the book of James out on the kitchen table for your husband tomorrow. Write him a note to, to read the book of James. And so, of course, he wasn't a Christ follower either, but, but she uh, put it down there with her note, and she came down the next morning, and he was reading the book of James, and he had tears in his eyes, and God had just met him for the first time in his life through the Word. And uh, he began to heal their life and restore their life, and came brought to Rocky Peak, and it's been a year of change, as the Holy Spirit just kind of broke into their life and changed them from the inside out. And rather than trying to tell that whole story today, uh, I'm going to let them tell it in their own words. So if you go to the side screens, uh, we're going we're gonna to do an interview with them. Tim and I met at the Spectrum Club Canoga Park, close by, and I was teaching a spin class, the Sunday morning spin class at the time. And I, at the beginning of the class, I would always get people set up on their bikes, make sure the seats were level and the handlebars were okay. Well, I was walking back to get the class started in my spin shoes, and I was walking, and I walked right past Tim's bike, and I completely slipped airborne right on my tush, right in front of Tim's bike. I was so embarrassed, so I looked up at him and said, see, I fell for you. And then Tim said, That's okay, Joanne, I fell for you a long time ago. going through tough times together in our marriage when Tim's dad really, really got very, very ill from dementia. A um, lot of short fused, just feeling like jumping into foxholes sometimes in our home because of just 
Tim's grumbling and growl growling and anger and frustration. And um, it was just really hard at that time. And the worse his father got, the more anger and frustration Tim was having. And, um, and then when he had passed away, uh, at, at that point thereafter, um, that's when kind of things came from bad to worse. We started to experience some, some uh, marital difficulties, and, and mostly that was really centered around uh, me, my, my behaviors. And it had to do mostly with uh, some fi family dynamics, and mostly uh, my father was quite ill, and uh, I was uh, taking out all my frustrations out on Joanne and Nicholas. And that was really the eye of our storm and our difficulty together as a couple. That same night, my friend Cindy from Paso Robles, a Christian friend that I worked with, I came over and spent the night at our home. Cindy just pulled me aside and um, just said, you know, that God doesn't want you to be in a relationship with a man who's not gonna be godly and loving towards you. And she just was really just kind of calling me on the carpet and asking me, you know, where's your personal relationship with Jesus right now in your life? And, I told her, well, I'm pretty disconnected right now, I believe, but it's just, it's just been a long, long, hard road here, and I just was really frustrated, and she's like, well, let me, she, so she said, well, let me take you to Barnes & Noble, I want to go get you something, and so she got, she got me this New King James, New King James Version Bible, uh, a Casting Crown CD, Chris Tomlin, and Barlow Girls, and I never really listened to that kind of music before either, and, um, and I asked her, I'm like, well, where do I start? And she said, Joanne, she's like, Let me, I'll be right back. And I didn't know what she did, now I know. She went around the corner and she shot up a prayer. And she said, Holy Spirit, you know, where should she start? And she said, the book of James. The more quiet I got, the more I noticed that uh, he got more still too. And um, and then two weeks later, I, I specifically just in the morning, I heard um, I was reading James again, and then I was re I was up a lot reading James a lot, and I just heard like this little small voice say, "Leave the Bible open. Have 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 your husband read this and write him a little note." Your father in heaven and your father, James, who just passed away. And the Holy Spirit wanted him to read this book today, this morning. So I wrote him that note, and I'll never forget, ever forget, walking into our kitchen and seeing his face. And that anger, growling, mean, frustrated face was just so soft and shiny. And his eyes were glowing, and um, he just looked at me with so much love with a smile I haven't seen in so long. And, um, and we just hugged for the longest time, and that was our moment of brokenness. And that was uh, when I accepted Christ in my life. Um, it was just an amazing time. Uh, uh, prior to Joanne coming in the kitchen, I just got on my uh, knees and just after reading the book of James, uh, about uh, being quick uh, to listen, slow to speak, and, and slow to anger, uh, and, and to consider all my, my trials 
as uh, consider them joyful and that my trials will lead, if I uh, persevere through my trials, that my faith will grow. And then from there, I started going to uh, celebrate recovery. And it was in celebrate recovery, I started to do one of the step studies. And then uh, every Sunday morning, we always met with the Grams. And, and uh, they were trying to get us into a life group. And it was then I told Dennis, well, I can't do a life group. I'm doing uh, CR. And he says, Tim, Pastor Mike says it's more important where you're going than where you've come from. And that was the lead into doing our life group. Uh, where we were a year ago to where we are today has just been a, an incredible journey. And that journey um, is really just beginning. Even though we've been on a, a, a mission, uh, we still have a lot of growth to do. Uh, we're involved in life groups here at Rocky Peak, and those have really been uh, very nurturing to us. Uh, we've really been able to grow outside of the church, which has been really incredible. By the grace of God, He's just really, in, in, a, in a really special way, you know, shown up to us through the Holy Spirit. And He continues to do so as, as long as I think Tim and I, we continue to just keep praying together and being obedient. From the anger and frustration at the beginning of, of what we went through in the last year and a half, um, through Tim's dad passing, through the book of James that Cindy shared with us to read, to our continued journey of I'm doing the Life Journal now, reading the Bible through for the first time, which has been so amazing. And um, oh, it's such a blessing every morning reading the Word, and I've just never had that before in my life, and I just can't imagine life without it. And just, uh, just continuing to just walk together and just trusting and knowing that no matter what we're going to go through, um, He's going to be with us continued on within our life. I don't think we can imagine our lives without Him and knowing no matter what we're going to go through, um, He's going to be, He's our strength and He's going to carry us through. It's been a, really a great journey, uh, accepting Christ, uh, letting Him lead me, letting Him lead us, uh, to being baptized going on a mission, being part of life groups, being involved in uh, Crown Financial, uh, to let the Word uh, be part of our lives and uh, to give us uh, life. Christ gave us life and to, to be able to share our testimonies to help those that uh, are probably going through storms uh, that we went through. It, it's been really a blessing and it's really through so many people that we've met here at Rocky Peak, uh, the fellowship has really just transformed our life as well. Without that, and without Christ's love uh, for one another and for our other brothers and sisters, we really uh, wouldn't be a, a couple today. We wouldn't be a, having a thriving marriage today without uh, Christ and without Rocky Peak. Can't imagine doing it without either one. Mm -hmm. an amazing story what what god does when he comes into a person's life when the holy spirit comes in and begins to change us from the inside out it's not like it's not like someone has to come and tell you to be different it's just like it just starts happening you know just a beautiful illustration of that we'll be talking about it as we go through today but today we're continuing this series that we've been in now since february it's called the way 
And uh, for those of you who are brand new, this is a study in the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who is one of the, the greatest uh, Christ followers, spiritual leaders of all time. And what we're doing in this series every week is we're coming alongside of him and we're asking him to mentor us. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a part of this ancient movement that in the early church was called the way. And so every week we do the same thing. We start off with one of his longest, most famous letters, the, uh, the book of Romans in the New Testament. We use that as a launching pad into the rest of his life and teaching. And today we come to chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 8. This, this is a chapter about the Holy Spirit. If you were here um, last week, you know that, that in chapter 7 of uh, Romans, Paul talks about the major problem of the human race. He he says there's something basically wrong with the human race at our core that we're broken. We're a broken people. That we can have the desire to do what the right thing is, and yet we don't really have the power. And so we find ourselves in this end, endless spiral of what he calls sin and death. You know, wanting to do the right thing, having the best of intentions, end up doing the wrong thing. And so like a moth to the flame, we keep getting drawn back to the dark side. And uh, so he calls it the law of sin and death. Like you have a law of gravity or a law of thermodynamics, it's a spiritual law. It's called the law of sin and death. That we, we, we as a human race, we want to do the right thing, but we keep getting uh, drawn down into sin and death. Well, anyway, in chapter 8 now, the topic is what God has done to rescue us as a race. And that not only did Jesus come to die for us so our sins could be forgiven, but he came to send his Holy Spirit into our life so that, and Paul calls it the law of, uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So he says the law of the spirit of life has now set us free from the law of sin and death. And so with that as the intro, let's jump in. We're going to run through the first 14 verses today and look at, uh, uh, we're calling this message a spirit part one, and then we'll come back next week and uh, do some more in Romans 8 and then talk about the spirit part two. So here we go. Verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that we've come to Jesus, we're no longer condemned. We're no longer un, under God's judicial sentence of guilty. We've been forgiven. But it's not just because our sins have been forgiven. We're no longer condemned because God is changing us from the inside out. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, there's that passage, there's that phrase, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, so the law of sin and death is Romans 7. Uh, now through Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free. That's chapter 8. For, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful nature. Remember what we learned last week, that the law of God is good and right and true. It's telling us if you want to live the, get the best out of most out of life, here's the way to do it. The law is good. The problem, remember, is when the law intersects with human nature. Remember that? And all of a sudden now we're not able to carry it out. And so that's what he's referring to. He says, uh, verse 3, what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in sinful man. So uh, God solved the problem by sending his son Jesus in the likeness of sinful man. He wasn't a sinful man. He was a real man, but without the sin nature, likeness of sinful man. And he condemned the human race. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, Think back to um, if you've ever watched TV or you've gone by a movie where there's a condemned building. You've seen, you've, you've driven on, you've seen that building is condemned. What does that mean? 
It means that the building is so far gone, it's beyond repair, and so it has to be destroyed, has to be wiped out. And so God has condemned the human race. The human race is something broken. It can't be repaired. And through Christ, he condemned it, but he, uh, so the building could be torn down and then rebuilt. Okay? And so he goes on again, and he says, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, remember the law is a good thing, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So in Romans 7, God tells us here's how to live, but we can't do it. But now through Christ, he's condemned the race and said, hey, you're never going to be able to do it on your own. Let me send my spirit into your life, forgive your sins, and now you'll be able to be transformed so you can carry out the law. You can actually live life like it was supposed to be lived. Now, verse 5, therefore, uh, those who live according to the sinful nature, literally whenever it says sinful nature in this passage, the Greek word is flesh. You might want to note that. Literally, those who live um, according to the sinful nature, they have their minds set on what the nature desires. So before you come to Jesus, um, our mind is set on the sinful nature. This is what he's saying, before we come to Christ. Those who live according to the sinful nature uh, have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So he says, before you come to Jesus, our whole mindset, our perspective, is sort of towards the dark side. When we come to Jesus, there's a change that happens into us, and we have a new perspective on life, a new mindset. Um, verse uh, 6, the mind of the sinful man, the person before they come to Christ, is death. And remember we talked about that last week, death at every level, sociologically, uh, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. But the, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And so when the Spirit comes into our life, he, he transforms our life. We begin to experience life as it was meant to be lived and peace. We saw that, for example, in the video today, in the interview with Tim and Joanne. That before Christ comes, you got the anger, you got the bitterness, you got this thing falling apart. Christ comes, what does he bring? Life and peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, just new life comes into their, their family, right? I think we have maybe someone over here with a hearing aid that's on a little loud, so maybe you could work with that. Um, okay, verse uh, uh, 7. The, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So before we come to Christ... Um, we have a, a, there's a, a natural hostility between us and God, kind of we're enemies with God. Um, and it says we're not really able to submit to God's law. And this is what we learned last week in Romans 7, that we might want to submit, but we don't have the power to do it. And uh, verse 8, so those controlled by the sinful nature, in other words, before we come to Christ, you cannot really please God. We can try to, but we're not really going to be able to. We don't have the power. Now, now he begins to talk about what happens when we come to Jesus. So in verse 9, you, however, and he's talking to the church at Rome, you Christians at Rome, you're, you're controlled not by the sinful nature, the flesh, but you're by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now catch this. Very key New Testament concept from the Apostle Paul. What makes a person a Christian? Well, one of the things that makes a person a Christian is when the Holy Spirit comes into that person. 
This is a supernatural event. This is not willpower. This is not just a kind of making a, a, a new, um, you know, a kind of a new goal in life. I'm going to live a different way. Uh, this is uh, when the Holy Spirit comes. That's what makes a person a Christian. In fact, Paul will describe it like this. There's, Paul will say there's only two kinds of people in life. You're either in the flesh, which is who you were in Adam, right, as a child of Adam, or you're in the spirit. There's no middle. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. And so that's what makes a person a Christian. The Holy Spirit's come into your life. So verse 9, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, you've given your life to Christ, your body, uh, though your body is dead with, because of sin, your spirit, that innermost, the deepest part of you, is alive because of righteousness. Okay? And so we're still going to have some of the old desires and all. We'll talk about that later. The body is dead because of sin. And yet the deepest part of you, what Paul calls the spirit, you've been changed. You've been connected with Jesus. That you've been uh, networked with him. You received his DNA. Now, I want to stop just for a second here and, and talk to those who have not yet given your life to Jesus. Because in, a, in a, uh, a group like this, there's a lot of us who have given our life to Christ. There was a point in your life where you came and you said, I get it. I get who Jesus is. I get why he came. I get why he died. He's died for me. We've asked him into our life to take over our life. And when he, we did that, the Holy Spirit came into our life. So we have the Spirit. So many of us have experienced that here. But there's many of us here who probably haven't experienced that. This may be your first time in church. It may be you've been coming for 15 years. It may be you've been here for three months. But you've been, you've been checking out Jesus, but you've never really come to a place where you've bowed the knee where you've bowed the knee and said, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. I ask you into my life, please forgive me, send your spirit in, reserve a spot in the next life for me. And the reason I'm saying that today is at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you the chance to give your life to Christ. And I don't want you to kind of take you by surprise. So if that's you today, you've not made that decision, I want you to just be kind of getting ready for that and listening with that in mind. Now, in verse uh, 10, it says, but if Christ is in you, so you've given your life to Christ, your body is dead because of sin, your spirit's alive because of righteousness, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, okay, if that's true, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week. I just lost my maps. Okay, time for a new Bible. Um, uh, we're going to talk about this more next week, but um, if you remember back in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, Paul said that God raised Jesus from the dead through the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who actually empowered Jesus to come back from the life. And here's what Paul's saying. If the Spirit of Jesus now lives inside of you, guess what? It's your guarantee that at the end of time, just as that spirit raised Jesus from the dead and gave him a new body, guess what? It's your guarantee. The Holy Spirit in your life is your guarantee that you get to be risen from the dead someday. And this is very powerful and very profound because what it means is that if we are experiencing the presence and the power of the Spirit in our daily lives today, there is nothing that gives us a more clear confidence in the future than that. 
you see. But if we're not experiencing the presence and power and leading of the Spirit on a day-by-day basis, heaven will always seem kind of out there, distant, and remote to us, not real, because we're not really experiencing the, the presence, the power of the next life. See, when the Holy Spirit comes, we begin to experience the power of the next life here and now. We get a foretaste of it, and we'll delve into that more next week. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. In other words, because the Spirit's come into our life, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. If you pursue the flesh in your life, it will kill you both now and the next life. He says, but if by the Spirit, underline that, by the Spirit, this is supernatural activity. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is the whole point. Jesus came to give us life, but I want you to catch this. For us to experience it, we have to put to death the bad parts of the old life, right? Because they're destructive, uh, they're they're evil, they, they hurt people, they hurt us. And so if you want to experience the life God has for you, you have to put to death the deeds of the old life. And he says, but you do that not on your own strength. You do that through the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about that today. And then he says, verse 14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now catch this. Paul says that when the Holy Spirit, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and the Holy Spirit will lead you in your life. He will lead you. He says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. This is your birthright. As a follower of Jesus, your birthright is to be led by the Spirit. Now, in this context, he's not talking about being led by the Spirit in terms of who to marry or whether to move or to take that job. I think the Holy Spirit does lead us in those areas. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is being led by the Spirit on a day-by-day basis of how to put to death the old life so we can experience the resurrection with Him. We experience the new life that He died to give us, okay? So that's the passage. Now, in the time that we have today, I want to break it down, and I want to go over three important principles about the Holy Spirit, how He works in our life. And uh, the first one is longer. The last one's longer. The middle one will be very short, all right? So one and three longer, two quickly. Let's jump in. There's a section there on your note sheet. It's called the coming of the Spirit, the supernatural life. And the first principle goes like this. The, whole, the coming of the Spirit starts a whole new era. The coming of the Spirit it starts or launches like a whole new era. I'm going to give you a chance just to write that down because I know Saturday night I went too fast and no one listened for the next five minutes. So, uh, so you got it? I'll read it for you. The coming of the Spirit starts a whole new Last night I felt like I was talking to the hand. So the coming of the Spirit uh, starts a whole new era. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. Is that as Christ followers, we often don't get, we don't, we often, uh, don't get this. We often misunderstand this. We think of our relationship with the Holy Spirit in, in a purely personal way. In other words, we think when the Holy Spirit came into my life. But what Paul wants us to understand is the coming of the Spirit was in the start of a whole new era for the human race, right? There was a time in the, whole, in the human race when the Holy Spirit wasn't as accessible as he is today. And that when Jesus came and he died 
and paid the penalty for our sin and condemned sin the race, that opened up a new access point now to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so there was a kind of before and after. It was a whole new era. And of course, this, it starts a whole new era in our own personal life the moment we come to Jesus. So in each of our lives, there's a before spirit and an after spirit. Just like in the human race, there was a before spirit, after spirit. And of course, in the human race, that point was the coming of Christ. Now, the Old Testament talks about this. The Old Testament predicted that when the Messiah would one day come, he would initiate the age of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you this in the Old Testament, okay? So we're going to look at a couple passages. The first one is in your Bible in Jeremiah 31. So mark your book, uh, mark your Bible to Romans 8 and go to Jeremiah 31. It's in the Old Testament. Go to the left. kind of the center of your Bible. And by the way, i just like to mention this from time to time. If you're new here at Rocky Peak or you're kind of a new Christian um, and you're still learning your way around your Bible, one way to, to get better at it is if you go to our resource center, we have these uh, Bible tabs that you can actually put on the, they kind of tell you where the books of the Bible are. You put them on the tabs of your Bible so you can just get around a lot faster. And I encourage you to do that uh, because that way you'll just feel more comfortable and you can get there faster. I always say it's uh, the cheapest way other than Starbucks for five bucks to uh, feel really cool. All right. So chapter 31, Jeremiah's like, you don't have that verse yet? Man, I'm already there. <laughs> I got the tabs. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. So it says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, uh, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. You want to underline that word, new covenant. Um, when the first covenant started, we talked about this last week, if you were last week. The first covenant started when Israel first came out of the nation of Egypt. They camp at Mount Sinai. God shows up in a big way. And you remember we talked, God made an offer. I will be your God. You will be my people. And, uh, and here are the terms of our relationship. The terms were the law. And so um, it was kind of as much like a wedding ceremony. God was coming to the nation saying, I'll be a husband to you. Will you be a wife to me? And they were very much in love with this new God who'd rescued them. They said, whatever you say, we will do. And so they enter into this covenant of marriage, so to speak, with God. That was the first covenant. Of course, as we saw last week, they were unable to keep the terms of the agreement, not because the terms were unreasonable or bad, but because they were fallen people. And as a result, now we go to the time of Jeremiah, we're reading this verse, it's 800 years later, and God is predicting the time when he will introduce a new covenant. And let's see what he says about that. Verse 12, it will not be like the covenant that I made with uh, with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a what to them? A husband. You see, the first covenant is like a husband-type relationship, uh, a marriage-type relationship declares the Lord. Now, this is the covenant I will make with him. And he begins to describe the features of this new covenant. He says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Now, catch this. First covenant, when God gave them the law, what did he write it on? Do you remember? Tablets of stone, right? And so the law was external to them. God said, here's what you need to do to live life the best way. Here are the top 10 rules of our relationship, so to speak. Um, And so I'm going to write it in stone. But they weren't written on our hearts. 
And so the problem was is that God could say, this is what you're supposed to be, but we had this power of sin in the human race that was like a magnetic pull to do the exact opposite. We talked about that last week. And so, so the, the law was good, but we didn't have the ability to carry out, so we kept breaking it. So God says, that's why we need a new covenant. This time I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to change you, what I like to say, from the inside out. I'm going to put my desires, my perspectives, I'm going to write it on your heart. And he goes on and he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And he says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, hey, know the Lord. Seek God, man. It's because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. He says, when this happens, one of the features of the new covenant is this personal relationship with God where you really know him, I could call it like a first name basis. It's, like it's, it's kind of like you really come to, like God once used to be a fuzzy concept, yeah, I guess there's a God, but when you, when you come to Christ, it, everything changes and you know him like in a personal way. Like you really, you, you know him, he's, he's, he's real to you. He's become very real. And he says, so, um, and he says in the last couple lines, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So the new covenant that, that, that God promises and there will come a time, this new covenant will come. Well, what does it look like? Well, two major characteristics and one we often talk about in Christian circles and one we often neglect. The one that we always talk about is I will, I will remember your sins no more, that part of it. We often talk, come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven. We get that part, right? But it's only half of the new covenant. The other half is that he will write his law on our hearts. That's the supernatural part, that he will write his law on our hearts. He'll change us from the inside out. Now, flip over on your note sheet. On your note sheet there, I put one other prophecy from the Old Testament that describes this. It's from the book of Ezekiel. And this time he spells it out even more clearly that this new covenant is a work of God's spirit. So he says, I will sprinkle water on you. He's talking to Israel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. So he's talking about washing away the past life, okay? And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. See, change from the inside out. And I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. One of my favorite moments in the interview with Tim and Joanne is that moment where she talks about coming downstairs. He's reading the Bible. He's been crying. And he looks up at her, and that face had been full of anger and tension and just, you know, just frustration for all these months. She, she described it as shining and soft and tender and full of love. And what had happened? It just happened in a moment. It had happened in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. He's reading James. It speaks to him. He gets down on his knees. He asks Christ in his life, and everything changes. And he, and he looks up, and his heart, he has a new heart. His heart has been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what he's talking about here. He changes us at a core level. And he says, and I will, and I will put my spirit in you. So there's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Do you catch that? This is not pull yourself up by the bootstraps. 
This is not, now what I'm supposed to do now? Let me go check the list off. This is God moving us, changing us, supernatural. I want you to catch this, men and women. If you're a Christ follower today, you have been called to live a supernatural life. From beginning to end, the Christian journey is supernatural. I like to say it this way. We are called to be naturally supernatural. Okay? As a church, we should be naturally supernatural. And so this era of the Holy Spirit that the prophets predicted would come, it came when Jesus came. Now, think through what, what, what happens when Jesus comes. John the Baptist shows up, right? And John the Baptist introduces Jesus to the nation of Israel. And what does he say? See if you remember this part. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you in the, in the Holy Spirit. Remember that? What's he saying? It's the start of the new age. The new age of the Spirit prophesied in the Old Testament is about to start. You go to the end of Jesus' life. It's the Last Supper. He's passing the second cup around during the Passover. And you remember what his language? This is the blood of the new covenant. Do you remember that? He's quoting Jeremiah 31. So what happened is there's a before the coming of the Spirit, there's an after the coming of the Spirit. And what happens in Acts chapter 2, when the early church is gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and Peter preaches that day, he explains what happens. And he says, what's happening is that Jesus, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he now rules the world, and he has now sent the promised Holy Spirit to planet Earth, you see. In fact, earlier, you'll study this in your, your summer studies homework this week. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John puts this editorial comment. He says, by this, he was referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit who had not yet come because Jesus had not been glorified. He had not gone back to heaven, you see. So there's a, the coming of the Spirit is the start of a whole new era in the life of the human race. But the coming of the Spirit is the start of a whole new era in our lives when we give our life to Christ. We've started to become a supernatural life, okay? And that's what Romans 8, he wants us to catch this. In the past, it was the law of sin and death. Now it's the law of life in the Spirit, okay? So that's number one. Number two, the second point is real quick, but it's very important. I want to point it out that the Spirit doesn't take away all our fallen desires. Now, if you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're kind of writing in, duh, right about now. The Spirit doesn't take away all our fallen desires. That, um, that if you've been a Christ follower at any point in time, you know both sides to this. Like you know that when you came to Christ, and, and by the way, if you came to Christ as a child, this is harder to experience like right away usually, but you, you'll experience the Holy Spirit changing you as you go on in life. But often when you came to Christ, it's like there's not a lot to change in a sense. You're four years old. you know. But, uh, but if you came to Christ later, right away, you experience this change that happened. 
inside of you. The kind of some of the changes that Tim and Joanne talk about. A new hunger for God's word. Did you catch that when she said that? A new sense of right and wrong. Tim's tenderness of heart. The new life. The new peace in their relationship. Uh, uh, a new desire to share Christ. Uh, Tim actually went last uh, last spring to Ethiopia on a mission to Ethiopia, and he got to share his story of what Jesus had done within the huts of of Ethiopia and be used of God to to uh, to bring others to Christ. And so. You see these kinds of changes, but you also know, if you've given your life to Christ, that not everything changed, that you still have your fallen, some of your fallen desires, right? You still have what Paul calls, the, your body is dead. You still have this body of death, and so you, you've got this new life at your core. You're, you're in Christ. You're a new creation. The old has passed, and yet you still have these old fallen desires. He doesn't remove them all, and so Paul talks about that in chapter 8 and verse 13. Let's look what he says. He says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so he assumes that after you come to Christ, there are going to be misdeeds of the body you have to put to death. He assumes that we are going to still have fallen desires that we're going to have to put to death if we want to rise to experience this new life Christ came to, uh, to give us. And so that's just part of it. Um, and so we all have them, right? Like, like we all have illicit, does anyone here not have any illicit desires in your life? Right? We all have it, right? Like I've got them, you got them, and we're going to have them to the day we die. But here's the point. To become restored to be like Jesus, we're going to have to learn how to put those things to death because they lead to destruction in our life. And so the key to becoming like Jesus is learning how to put to death the old evil desires and notice what Paul says, though. It's by the Spirit. It's not something we do on our own. And that leads to point number three. So let's go on. Number three. Number three is the secret of success. So you say, well, how do we put this thing to death? How do we put the, the old life to death? Well, the secret of success, according to Paul, is to stay in step with the Spirit. The secret of success is to stay in step with the Spirit. Let's go back to verse 13, 8.13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, catch that, it's by the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit-led action, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, you'll experience the life God has for you. Because those who are, catch this, led by the Spirit are sons of God. You see, so what you can expect is that we are to put to death the old life, but it's not something you're on your own. It's by the Spirit. And notice he says you'll be led by the Spirit. He will lead you. The Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and say in this area of your life, okay, this area of your marriage, this area of sexual temptation, this area of greed, this area of, of uh, anger, this area of addiction, uh, I'm going to lead you in this. We're going to put that old life to death, and I'm going to lead you. So take my hand and I will lead you. Stick with me. Stay in step with the Spirit. You, see, you follow what I'm saying? He's using this analogy of walking a path in life. That the Holy Spirit is our path leader. He, he's our guide to this whole process. Now, there's another passage in the New Testament. Every week we talk about 
we start in Romans and then we, we jump to other passages where kind of Paul mentors us some more. The key passage that goes with Romans 8 is Galatians 5. These two are like parallel passages. So I want you to uh, keep your finger at 8, but move to 5. Galatians 5. So it's to the right in your Bible, just a little bit. Small little book of Galatians. And we'll look and see what he says. Verse 16, 516. So Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit. And literally, the word is to walk by the Spirit. In the Greek, it actually says walk. So he's using that path metaphor again. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or literally the flesh. So what Paul is saying is the key to beating the old life is not focusing on the old life, how do you beat it? The key is focusing on the Spirit and what the Spirit's telling you to do. Walk by the Spirit, you won't fall into the traps. It's kind of like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're trying to kind of walk across like a, a little narrow bridge or a log in the stream, you know, it's like if you look down at the stream, you fall in, right? The trick is to watch ahead, kind of follow the log ahead, focus on the log down the road. Don't focus on where you don't want to go. Focus on where you do want to go. Same in spiritual life. He says, if you don't want to fall off, don't focus on the sin and, oh, not supposed to do that. Focus on what the Spirit's telling you to do, and then, and then you'll, you'll be able to make it across. Now, he makes it even more clear in verse 25, 525. Since we live by the Spirit, in other words, since we've come alive, since the Holy Spirit's come into our life and given us this new life and peace, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, catch that. He's using uh, like a military term here, like, a, like if you're marching, and the soldiers would march in order. And you know how that works, right? That you've seen that, you know, you kind of keep in steps. It's one, two, one, two, and you, okay, let's get, we got to keep in step. Or some of you are in marching band or something if you weren't in the military. And you know how you have to learn how to keep in step. And so what Paul says is the key to this whole Christian life thing is staying in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. So the Spirit will lead you on how to conquer these areas, okay? But you have to stay in step. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you the two steps of staying in step, all right? Number one step. How do you stay in step with the Spirit? Number one, the first step is the step of surrender. Now, this is critical. You see, most of us go through life, and we're not really sure whether we want to trust God or not. We will trust Him at certain points and on certain issues, but not on other points and other issues. And as a result, life is bumpy for us. It's a rocky road, and we can't figure out why it's so bumpy, and the reason is it's kind of, well, we'll trust him here, we'll not trust him there. But sooner or later, we come into our life, if we continue walking with Jesus, we come to a place where we are just sick of doing life on our own. Have you ever been there? You're just like, I'm just sick of being beat up. I'm sick of disobeying and paying the price. And so you come to a place where you say, I'm really ready to surrender. And what I found is it's at that point that we surrender to the leading of the Spirit, that our spiritual life begins to take off. It's at that point that the Holy Spirit begins to speak. Because let me let you in on a little little secret that's really uh, powerful and profound. As a general rule, the Holy Spirit will not speak to people who are not listening. Uh, There's a great verse there on your note sheet. It's from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. 
is Proverbs chapter uh, 23. And it goes like this, 23.9. It says, Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. In other words, there's some people in life, don't waste your breath on them. They're just a fool. They're going to do really stupid things. You can try to give them wise counsel. They're just going to blow it back in your face, get mad at you, and then they're going to go and do their thing anyway. And so don't speak to a fool because they're going to scorn the wisdom of your words. Now, now who inspired these words to be written? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, right? We believe the Bible inspired these words to be written. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the proverb writer to write this proverb. Don't speak to a fool. He'll scorn the wisdom. Well, guess what? The same Holy Spirit who inspired this verse, he takes his own advice. And so in his own life, the Holy Spirit will not speak to a fool who scorns the wisdom of his words. And so many times in life, we're trying to overcome, oh God, help me to forgive this person, or help me to resist this sexual temptation, or help me to overcome my greed, or help me to grow more loving, or help me to care more about people. And so we're, we're, we're praying that God will do this, but we are scorning the wisdom of his words. We are not willing to surrender the area that needs to be surrendered in order for him to empower us. Does this make sense? So what happens is God's willing to empower us. We're not ready to surrender. Now let me illustrate it like this. When I was about 14 or 15 years old, I lived in North uh, San Diego County. And uh, my youth group that I was in at church, uh, they were going to take a trip to Disneyland. And I, I was really looking forward to this. It's big time. 14 or 15, you can't drive yet. And so um, going to Disneyland was a big deal. The only problem was I was dating a girl at the time, and we were too involved physically. And I, I'm not going to go beyond that, but we're just, let's just say we're just too involved physically. And, uh, and so I really wanted to go to Disneyland because at Disneyland, there are a lot of dark places where you're alone. And don't look at me like that. You've been to Disneyland. And, uh, and when you're 14 or 15, you know, it's like this is a great opportunity. And so... And now I'm, I'm a Christ follower at this time, right? And, I'm Christ, and so I'm struggling with this thing. And, you know, you're kind of making your vows. I'm not going to do it again. And, oh, okay. So you're going through this whole deal. And, and so the week comes, and I'm really looking forward to this. At the beginning of the week, I get sick. I get the flu. And now I'm praying that Jesus will heal me <laughs> so I can go to Disneyland. Now, can you see the problem? You see the problem here? And, and so I, I'm praying that Jesus is going to heal me so I can go to Disneyland. And here's what I'm saying. Jesus, if you heal me, I'll really try to do the right thing. I will really try my hardest to do the right thing. Well, what happened? The last day, he healed me. I went to Disneyland. I did the wrong thing. Why? Because I wasn't really surrendered. I wasn't really willing to sacrifice that area of my life. I still thought I knew better than God. At that point, in that area of my life, at that point in time, I still, still thought I knew better than God. And so the what was going to happen, I was going to have to continue to pay the death tax on disobedience until I got a little sicker of the, the price of disobedience. That's what's going to have to happen in my life. And so I was going to have to pay the death tax until I was ready to really surrender. 
And this is how it often works in our life. We ask God, will you help me with this? Will you overcome this? Will you teach me this? Will you take this away? And God's saying, like, I really want to, but you're not surrendered. You're not willing to do what I'm going to ask you to do to get out of this. And so we never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We keep living lives of death. Why? Because we are not willing to follow his advice. Okay? So the first step is surrender. The second step is to listen. After we surrender, we come to a place where we really think he knows best. We're willing to do whatever he says. And you've experienced this, haven't you, in your life? I mean, like there's an area of your life you've, just, you've been praying to God to help you forever with. And nothing, it's not getting better. And then you come to a place of you're just broken. And you're so sick of your life. And you're so sick of the way you're doing it. And you say, God, whatever you want. And you really mean it. And all of a sudden he goes, just do this. Really? Couldn't you have told me that five years ago? I would have if you were listening five years ago. You see? So, so once we surrender, then he, we need to start listening. Because what Paul says will happen is that your birthright as a child of God is to be led by the Spirit. That he will lead you. He will lead you. He will speak. He will guide you. And, and, and the important thing is, is then when he guides you, now you've got to stay in step. You've got to do whatever he tells you. And here's the thing, there'll be different ways out from different temptations or different growth things. And I can't tell you what it will look like in your life, but I can give you some examples, right? I want to be as practical as I can so I illustrate types of things the Holy Spirit might say to you. For example, one thing the Holy Spirit may say to you, not always, but may say, he may say that the key to you overcoming this area of your life or growing this area of your life, you're going to need to spend more time with me. He's going to say, you need to spend more time with me. You need to spend more time in your prayer and more time in the word. Not because it's magical, but because as you spend time in the word, he's going to reshape the way you think. He's going to open your eyes to new truth, and you're going to have the, like, oh, I get it. I get it, and, and it's going to give you the power to do what you need to, because you get it. You have an aha moment. Okay? So that may be part of it. Uh, sometimes what God's going to say is, to, in order to overcome this area of your life, uh, you, there's certain things you need to avoid. Like there's certain people you need to avoid or certain people you need to stop emailing or certain places you need to stop going. There's certain habits you need to, to get rid of. That in order to beat this one, the Holy Spirit's gonna say, this is what it means, it's a keeping step, you need to avoid this. So for example, let's say that you have a problem with shopping, right? that you overspend. And the Holy Spirit may come and say, you can no longer go to Nordstrom's. And you're like, but I want to go to Nordstrom's. Like, no, no, you just cannot go anywhere. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be healed that way, God. <laughs> I want you to make it so I can go to Nordstrom's and just not overbuy. Right? Not overspend. Yeah. And we do this, don't we? He's like, no, you can't do that. Okay, no, I don't want you to, God, what do I want you to do? I want you to change me. So I can go out with my girlfriend and stay out till four in the morning in remote places and just have wonderful conversations. <laughs> Could you just change my heart so that I can do that? Well, I don't want to stop going to the bar. I just want to go and not want the alcohol. You, you see? That this is what we often want. God, will you just change me super? And the Holy Spirit's telling you, no, listen, just do this. Just don't go to that bar anymore. Okay? The Holy Spirit's telling you, okay, cancel that cable subscription. The Holy Spirit's saying, 
um, this is your step. Don't go to auto malls anymore. You cannot go. It's something about the smell of a new car <laughs> that causes you to lose your brain. Well, God, can't you just take that away and make my nose normal? No. Uh, yeah. Okay, sometimes, a fourth example. Uh, sometimes God is going to say, you need some, uh, or a third example, you're going to need some uh, friendship and support. That if you are going to overcome this area of your life, you need some more encouragement, support, some accountability. Uh, Tim talked in his interview about Celebrate Recovery and life groups and the important role that those played in his life. And so did Jesus come in and change it from the inside out? Yes, but the Holy Spirit, this is your next step. You need to go to Celebrate Recovery. Now you need to go to a life group. It's through this connection. You see, sometimes we're not designed to beat everything on our own. Uh, Sometimes... He's going to give you a specific action step. Uh, the, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to say, okay, in this particular situation, this is what you need to do. And you're just praying, God, I just want to forgive this person. I've been carrying this hatred for him, the bitterness for five years. I'm sick of it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. How do I let go? I've tried everything. I can't let go. And the Holy Spirit's going to put it, um, an idea in your mind that's going to come with his authority. And here's what it's going to say. He's going to say, I want you to get up and start every day the first thing out of bed. I want you to pray for that person that I would bless them. And you're going to say like, I mean, in other words, instead of praying every day when I get out of bed first thing that you would curse them, <laughs> that I would now bless them. Well, God, isn't a prayer a prayer? I mean, really, you know. You've got neighbors that their dogs bark too, light, too much. You know what I'm talking about? This, is, this is almost causes me to kill people. <laughs> At our old house. We had neighbors. Their dogs were always barking in the middle of the night, waking you up all the time. I'm seriously. I go to my buddies at work, my other pastor buddies. I say, what do you think I should do as a Christ follower? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I've talked to them. I call them in the middle of the night. You know, your dogs are barking. I mean, they're like, have you thought of poison? <laughs> Thanks, guys. A lot of help. Seriously, one time I, I, I talked to the daughter, the grown daughter, and she said, yeah, my, my mom knows they bark a lot, but they just... She puts in her earplugs every night before she goes to bed so it doesn't bother her. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> so what do you do, you know? And, and so maybe the Holy Spirit puts an idea in your heart. You need to, next time you make chocolate chip cookies, take them over and just say, hey, just had some extra cookies. You need to do an act of love towards that person. That's going to be what the Holy Spirit's going to use to break. You see what I'm saying? It's like, I can't tell you what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you to tell you to do. Well, what I can tell you is if you're surrendered, you should expect him to guide you. You should expect that. I know in my life, the fifth example I want to give is sometimes the Holy Spirit just wants us to learn to trust him and rely on him for power instead of trying to do it or change on our own. And this is the hardest one to explain, but frankly, it's the most important lesson I've ever learned in my spiritual life is that... Um, is it, you know, by nature, I'm sort of a, a high achiever type person. I call myself a type A minus. <laughs> and, um, and so when I come to my spiritual life, when I come to my spiritual life, I do it the same way. It's like I want to be like Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going I'm to learn this apology. I'm going to get this thing down, self-discipline, self-control. And that just did not serve me well for the many early years of my life following Jesus. And I finally came to a place where it's like, I can't do this Christian life thing. It's impossible. I'm done. I'm out. 
And honestly, if I had words for it, it's like the Holy Spirit said, I've been waiting for you to say that your whole life. Because it's not about you and your power, it's about trusting me. And as you trust in me, I'll release my power into your life in new ways. And honestly, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like telling someone how to ride a bike. Have you ever tried to tell, like, teach someone how to ride a bike? It's the most frustrating experience. You're out there with your little son or daughter. Okay, okay we're going to push you, and then you start riding. Well, what do I do? Don't fall. <laughs> you fell again. Knock it off. You know, you fell to the left. You know, try to say, no, now you're falling to the right. You're trying to instruct them, but it's really possible because you're telling them to like get to this balance point. And how do you explain that? How do you explain it to yourself? You know, it's like now you just know, right? You get on a bike and you balance, but it was impossible. You just had to kind of work it out. And spiritually, lots of times, some of the most important lessons in life, the Holy Spirit, are things that you can't really pass on to someone. You can say it's possible to ride a bike. And I know in my experience that one of the most powerful lessons I learned was that it wasn't about me trying, it was about me trusting. And as I began to learn to trust in the Lord, it released his power in my life in phenomenal ways because everything spiritual always happens by faith and trust. But I can't really explain it all for you exactly how that works, but I can tell you that it's out there. I can tell you the Bible says it's out there. Right, so, but here's the point. The point is, that Paul says, when we become a Christ follower, Jesus comes in, he begins to change us from the inside out, and yet there's these old desires that will destroy us, and we have to do battle with them. But we don't do the battle on our own. We do the battle by the Spirit, and, and, and what that means is we need to learn to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. In this situation, this is how you beat this particular sin or this kind of destructive thing. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're so thankful that we live in the era of the Spirit. And we're thankful that you have come and died and risen again so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of your Spirit living inside us, changing us from the inside out. And we want to be a church that is experiencing the supernatural in natural ways. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come. And I, we pray that, that in our areas, if there's an area of life we need to surrender so that we can experience and unleash your spirit, I pray, Lord, that right now that we would be able to release that to you and surrender. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to speak to those of you who've not yet given your life to Jesus. I've described that earlier. I told you again this opportunity. And if, if this is you, then what you're experiencing right now is there is a hunger inside of you you can't explain. There's a hunger inside of you right now that you want to know Jesus. You want to know the God who created you. You want to be forgiven. You want to be changed. You want to follow him. And you can't even maybe explain it all, but there is just a hunger, a burning in your heart right now that you want that. And if that's what you're experiencing right now, that's the Holy Spirit calling you home. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, I would ask you just to pray along in your, your heart with me and ask Christ into your life. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. I acknowledge that you are the Lord, the heaven, the creator of heavens and earth. And I submit to your leadership. I ask you to forgive me for all I've done against you and to come into my life and to fill me with your spirit and to change me from the inside out and to save a place in eternity that I might rise with you and live forever. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that's your prayer today, 
I would ask you to do a couple things. First of all, in just a couple minutes, we're going to be taking our offering and registration cards inside your program. Would you write me a note and say, Mike, I prayed that prayer or I asked Jesus into my life. And that way I will know that that transaction happened, that today was your day to start the journey. And then also, I want you to know that this week, then we will write you, I'll write you a letter with some next steps on your journey. And also, we will call you this week to see when you want to be baptized. Because if you're serious about following Jesus, that's the very first step. And we're having our baptism next week. And so you'll be able to enter with the waters of baptism with Christ and say goodbye to your old life and hello to your new life. Father, we, uh, we just pray now as a church that you would be transforming us from the inside out, writing your law on our hearts, moving us to do your will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.